Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. City are back. Arsenal are dancing on ice. Lampard's on thin ice. United keep putting the pressure on and Mourinho is sending out an SAS. I'm Dan Burke. This is the first Premier League weekend review podcast of 2021 and I'm joined this week by Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So happy new year to you, Joel. Just the two of us today. Um, before we get stuck into the, the main gist of it, I've got a couple of questions for you. The first one is, what have you been more worried about over the past couple of weeks? The season getting binned because of COVID or Man United winning the league? <laughs> My eyes win the league with bring, bring on Armageddon and the end of the world, so uh, I absolutely do not want that on these days. I think United fans said the same about Liverpool winning the league, though, to be fair, didn't they? So, And, and look what happened. Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very true, actually, yeah, I didn't think about that. And, uh, and my second question for you is, is there such a thing as joint top of the table, in your opinion? Absolutely not, and, and you'll be able to answer this more than anyone else, because... What happened in the Aguero season? Quite know? right, quite you, you, right. Technically, City and Man United were joint top of the league. Well, yeah. Who won the league? I don't recall us lifting the trophy together that year. That's all I'll say about <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll start this week at Stamford Bridge, where a depleted Manchester City side embarrassed Chelsea three-one on Sunday. Uh, my first question is: Have you any idea why that Chelsea indirect free kick was taken outside the box in this game? <laughs> Still baffled bit, by that one. A bit in my head out. I don't understand what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, was Anthony Taylor's fault or was it? Zayech's fault I'm not sure it was almost like they put it outside the box and Anthony Taylor looked at it and went oh I can't be bothered to tell him to move it just get on with it (laughs) but it's like and part of me was thinking well maybe there's sort of like a bit of a margin for error with free kicks maybe you don't have to take it from the exact spot and you can move it back a bit but surely in that situation it'd be advantageous to move it back a bit wouldn't it so it's exactly I'm not sure if they thought it would suit them better but Clearly didn't work, did it? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, my real first question is, were you expecting this kind of performance and result from City given the players they had missing due to coronavirus? Because I certainly wasn't. No, absolutely not. I mean, they were depleted, but it was still crazy and and shows a lot of strength in their squad that they can still start Mares and Sergio Aguero on the bench. Um, But obviously, they're missing important players, including the goalkeeper. And no, you've got to think, not only were they missing players, they'd also had a lack of time on the training field in Mm. between the the last match and the Chelsea game um, because obviously they had to close the training ground after, you know, what happened. And, it, it was incredible. It, it looked like they, it looked like they'd been extra prepared for this game. In, in that case, it was it was unbelievable. The first, especially the first thirty minutes where they go into that lead and you know go three 0 up. They, they were incredible, and it, it you know it, it's got me sort of you know a bit fearsome of them because it looks more like the city team that we've been or city side we've been used to over the past you know two or three seasons prior to the last eighteen months. Let's say really, and and, and still you probably. Have Bit annoyed that they didn't go in five or six because mm. they definitely had the chances and, and got into the you know the spaces to be able to do that as well. Yeah, considering that goal at the end annoyed me actually. It was it was a bit of a blow to to lose the clean sheet and and it, I think a more clinical team perhaps with a with a striker on the pitch might have won that game six or seven nil really. And, uh, uh, absolutely, it was the, never a three one game, was it? No, I mean the first the first twenty minutes were all Chelsea really. Um, they didn't create an awful lot, but City were a bit at sea, and I was like, oh god, I probably take a draw here the way things are going. You know, they they've not started very well and. <laughs> as soon as they got that first goal there was no looking back was there really um, just on the coronavirus thing I was pretty shocked and disappointed that Benjamin Mendy was in the squad after he admitted that he broke the uh, the Covid rules by holding a, a small gathering at his house on New Year's Eve do you think do you think that was a bad move from the club to include him I, I, I think so what, what it does I mean Man, Man City were, were completely just and completely right to um, 
to often try to postpone the Everton game because you know they not only are they try to protect themselves, they try to protect Everton in that case and, and mm. try to stop an outbreak going along to another squad. And but the, the only thing is, I, I, I they got some criticism for that, which I think is really unjust. But I, I, I think it's really unfair. But to go and then put Mendy in the squad after yesterday, I mean after what, what broke and what allegedly broke about him uh, yesterday morning. It's it, it just sort of I'm not much. It doesn't ruin that point. It doesn't ruin that stance. But it sort of it, it's, it gives them less credibility. It undermines say. it, doesn't it? Yeah, that was it my thoughts on it. A little bit it, it, because Mendy tested negative for the virus after his his little party. So you know, as per rules, there was no reason why he couldn't be included in the very, squad. Very yeah. But f- for me, it's it's the optics of it that are so bad. It, you can't say you know, we're taking a hard stance against coronavirus. We don't want to, you know, take any chances and then include a fella who's blatantly, you know, broken the rules and admitted it. Um, I think it would have just made more sense to say, right, you've got to stay at home for this one, Benjamin. Self-isolate. We'll think about uh, your future at the club now and we'll think about what, what the next steps are. I mean, he didn't even come off the bench. So the whole thing was pretty pointless, really. And there was probably no intention of bringing him off the bench, really. I mean, Zinchenko played pretty well. So, yeah, I just, I just thought it was very, very foolish uh, move from the club. And, and for Guardiola, to come out afterwards and kind of defend him. I did understand his point a little bit in that, you know, we've probably all bent the rules somewhat during this pandemic, haven't we? And yeah, let those without absolutely. sin cast the first stone and all that stuff. But for me, I think you've just got to be a bit more careful at this time of year. Well, back to the game itself. And there are there are two City players that I want to single out for praise. The first one is Ilkay Gundogan, who scored a brilliant goal to open the scoring and, and generally continued his excellent form in this game. Do you think he might actually be the closest thing City have got to David Silver in that squad at the moment? Um, I'm, I'm not sure about that. About that. Um, I mean, it's Gundogan's one, and I've seen City fans criticise him fully enough. Yeah, you know, I've been one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and 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 obviously, I don't watch him enough every week to sort of to get that. But I've always been a little bit surprised by that because every time I've seen him, he's been you know solid and if not spectacular, but he's, he's done his job very well. I mean, the, 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 I see the silver point to an extent because he's, he's one of them who's retained the possession very well and also gets it moving very, you know, when he mm. needs to and when, when the when the mood requires him to. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that he's sort of getting some praise now because I thought he was great yesterday and um, on Sky Sports, he gets man in the match when a lot of people were thinking De Bruyne was one for that, but that just proves that he's maybe getting seen more than um, than he has done in the past. But it's, it's, it's interesting that he played a completely different role under Jürgen Klopp at Borussia Dortmund and mm. Guardiola's brought him in and, and has just seen him as a different kind of midfield. And I think he'd do it for the midfield, to be honest, really can. Yeah, well, that, a lot of the frustration with Gundogan, I think, stems from the fact that Guardiola likes to play him and Rodri in this kind of double double pivot thing. Mm. And often it feels like two players doing what the job of one player, really. It feels like they're sort of holding each other's hands and not really contributing very much. Whereas recently, Gundogan has been getting forward a lot more, getting into the box, scoring goals. That's why it kind of reminds me a little bit of David Silva, that he's been a bit more creative than he used to. And it's uh, it's really good to see. I think he's probably playing the best football of his entire City career so far, which is which is very good. And the other player I wanted to single out was Cancelo, who I think has arguably been the best fullback in the league this season. Would you go along with that? I mean, if he even is a fullback, given some of the positions that he takes <laughs> up, you know, he plays sort of attacking midfield at some points. It's weird. Yeah, he's actually in that conversation. Um, he's definitely up there with, with the likes of Andrew Robertson and Luca Dean. Um, uh, he's been brilliant. He really has been brilliant. And and it's, I'm glad to see it because the first, I think, the first problems of his Man City career, he maybe. You could see that he's someone who's trying to get used to the league, and I think a lot of people, maybe outside club, wrote him off, mm. um, and, and didn't think he'd have the physical ability to be able to play in this league. But 
it's interesting that you know we're seeing him sort of take up these roles that you know, Pep Guardiola like and positions that Guardiola likes his wing backs to do so because, like you said there, a lot of the time he's he's in the middle, he's in, he's mm. inside, and he's, and he did some damage. I think was it Newcastle he played the other week just over Christmas. They all blend into one at the moment. But yeah, he, he was so effective. He's playing you know, three or four through balls um, during the ninety minutes and. And yes, he, he just he just looks like a play you can trust with the ball now, and, and you expect him when when he actually receives the ball, you expect him to do something, and it's it's not always something that you you know you expect from a right back to do that, is there? No, not at all. No, and he he has come on leaps and bounds this season because he, he wasn't great last season at all. He looked like he sort of didn't really know what his role was, mm. um, didn't really sort of belong there. wasn't wasn't playing very often. Was kind of brought in to compete with Kyle Walker and never even sort of dislodged Walker at all from the right back spot. Whereas now he's sort of got an opportunity playing at left back sometimes. Walker's out at the moment, so he's playing right back, and and yeah, he's he's really playing superbly well. So one to keep an eye on for sure. Um, he's what part of the reason City still have the best defensive record in the, in the league. League. They've, they've conceded just 13 goals this season and it looks like they're starting to, to attack a bit more fluidly now. They looked a bit more back to the kind of 2017-18, uh, 18-19 best yesterday. Are you, are you feeling that from City? Are you feeling them creeping up on Liverpool now? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was always expected and never ever wrote them off completely. Um, I always thought at some point that they were, they were going to click. You know, you, you can't forget that they didn't have a pre-season. Um, mm. So I, I think a lot of these performances they've had at the start of the season, when they have, they've been open to criticism, I think you put that a lot down to, to not have the pre-season and having to sort of just get games out of the way. And it, it now looks like they've just started to click. And, and it's not just yesterday, but yesterday was one then where, you know, the cliche, you make a statement. Because mm. if you go to a big club, you go to a big stadium like that, and you put in that kind of performance everyone's going to sit up and take notice. But in the last five or six games, I think it's been a bit more like City. They've been keeping the ball better, but looking to be a bit more decisive with it. But the only thing is, like like you said um, a couple of minutes ago, that they just need to be a bit more clinical. Mm. I think that will come. I, th- I think, you know, I'm not sure they're going to go by a striker in January or whatever, but I think the players they have now will... Will you know we we find and especially with him still and he'll he'll find his clinical touch again and you know Sterling's come up with twenty goals in the season I won't be surprised, um, but that, that's that's the only thing that's maybe just missing at the moment is just that that little thing to take turn those three 0 wins to six 0 wins which I know sounds yeah. bizarre but Man City, Man City have been doing that for the past three or four seasons I've just stopped doing it slightly haven't they? Yeah, I, I wonder whether that's going to come when Aguero, if Aguero gets gets fully fit again. Because even with Jesus, they've been playing without a, a proper striker all season for me, really. And you, you saw it yesterday. I mean, they, they look dangerous with De Bruyne playing as a sort of false nine. But there's just no one in the penalty box there to kind of finish those chances. And you think if if they get Aguero back, you know, one of the best finishers the game has ever seen, then 100%. those goal those goals st- could start to go in. But it's a bit of, it's it's a big if with Aguero at the moment. I think I don't. Uh, do you think he sort of his legs might have you know just taken a bit too much of an impact of one more? Injury, yeah. When you one injury too far, when you get a knee injury at that age, it's hard to to fully sort of restore yourself, isn't it? And exactly, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see. I mean, he's, he came off the bench yesterday. He might uh, he might play against uh, United in the the Carabao Cup in midweek. Uh, but but away from City, I mean, as good as they were, I thought Chelsea were embarrassing. I said it at the start of the show. There, I think they probably deserve to lose this more more than three one. Do you think Frank Lampard's on thin ice now? Do you think Thomas Tuchel will be watching that game with interest yesterday? It doesn't have that two cows there now in the background, isn't no. it? It's the last thing you want. Um, I think he is on for nice, and I think it's that'd be justified. You know, it's what one win in six. 
Um, he doesn't seem to have found his best team. It's it, it's a strange one. Frank, Frank Lampard, he's only had one season at Derby before he took this job, and it was always going to be he needs time, and he, he needs time to find his way and, and to find his style. And he's learning on the job, which, I mean, Arguably, someone taking that Chelsea job shouldn't shouldn't be learning on the job. They should be applying what they've already mm-hmm. learned to years of manager experience elsewhere. But he's obviously a club legend, so there is that sort of sentimental value about it. But I think we're now finding the limitations to Lampard, and it, he still might go on to be a very good coach. But I don't think it's going to happen at Chelsea because mm-hmm. I don't think he's got long left there. Um, but and and I, I think it's right to expect more from from him, more from the squad because he's probably. Arguably, in my, my eyes, got the best squad in the division in terms of the options. I mean, yesterday he has Tammy Abraham, Olivier Giroud on the bench, um, and you know, the likes of Jorginho on the bench, not even getting anywhere near the first, first 11. Mm-hmm. And that happens every week. Um, the players that they have on the bench are not even in the match day squad. So it's they should be expecting more. And the fact that they're now going through this poor run of form, it's, yeah, I, I think it's starting to close in on Frank, sadly. Yeah, I do feel a bit sorry for him because I think from the moment he was appointed at Chelsea, even last season, people were kind of willing him to fail a little bit, weren't they? And just yeah. waiting for it to go wrong. And he, and he he sort of exceeded expectations for most of last season. All right, they finished fourth in the end. wasn't great, but he got him in the top four. Um, and then as soon as you spend two hundred million or whatever it was in the summer, people are going to be the knives are going to be out for you as soon as it starts to go wrong, aren't they? And uh, of course, yeah, I, you know, especially as a club. It, it, being at a club where they uh, don't have a great deal of patience with managers, um, he's he, he seems like he's he's uh, his days are numbered there, don't they? I mean, I really thought the um, the front three of, of Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic, and, and Hakim Ziyech was going to cause havoc when I saw the teams yesterday, but they barely gave Zach Steffen anything to do in the City goal. That's twelve matches without a goal for Werner now. What's the solution to the striking situation? Do you think? Do you think it's bizarre that um, Olivier Giroud finds himself back on the bench again now? I do, but when he signed, you know, the likes of Werner and and Kaya Vert and Ziek in, in the summer, I, I thought those from that three with, with Pulisic was going to be the front four, and you know that, that that's that's fearful. That's, that's horrible to think about. He can't be against that, but it's not really happened. He's not really had a chance to get them all on the pitch at the same time because of injuries and, and the like. And and I, I wonder if he did have those that four firing from the start. Whether we'd be talking about Chelsea in a different way now. Um, it's well. I think it's fair to question about the Giroud because the thing is, he, he comes in a couple of weeks ago and he scores nearly every game, mm. and they they go have a bit of run, beat and run, and then suddenly, you know, he brings Abraham back in to try and to give him something else against West Ham, and and, and they win. So you can understand the stigma of Abraham then, but the, yeah, it, it's weird that he's just doesn't seem to want Giroud there all the time, does he? He doesn't want to build his strike course around Giroud. And, and I, I think that actually might end up costing his job mm-hmm. now because Giroud's one then that comes in. If, if you want someone to save your job, Olivier Giroud is going to do that. <laughs> oh, well, looking very handsome on the bench. Yeah, it's like James Bond or something, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He'd be a great James Bond. Um, yeah, and it's, yeah, and I feel I feel really bad for him that he's he's suddenly been kicked to the wayside, and I don't know what the answer to that is now. I don't know, you know, how they find the problem to that solution, uh, the solution to that problem. Um, <laughs> so it's yeah, it, it's it's a strange one. I think that's going to be the end up being the ring of the death knell for him because he's not been able to get that front four on the pitch at the same time, but he's also just sort of. Uh, 
used Giroud and, and dropped him back in and it's been you know what he's got to live by decisions and it's been a wrong one yeah it feels like he's trying to play Werner into some form doesn't it which you can, can understand because we all know Werner's yeah, quality and this isn't a true representation of, of Werner's qualities we don't think anyway um, but that moment when he kicked the corner flag just kind of summed up his Chelsea career so far didn't it really <laughs> um, I mean since the start of December only West Brom and Sheffield United have lost more games than Chelsea they're down to 8th in the table now I asked you earlier in the season whether we should consider them genuine title challenges I think you were you were warm into the idea then but uh, have you gone cold on that now because I certainly have yeah I think we can rule them <laughs> out I mean, it's a strange one because you can't really rule anyone out right now can you because the tower race is going to be a crazy thing but I think we can safely say Chelsea are not going to win the league mm. but I still think they're going to have a chance of, of sneaking into that top four at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, one team who might have a chance of winning the league is Manchester United, who extended their unbeaten Premier League run to 10 matches when they won 2-1 against Aston Villa on Friday night. I asked Podrick on the, pod- on the podcast before Christmas whether he thinks it was time to admit that maybe Solskjaer isn't completely cr- clueless and out of his depth after all. He was struggling to give him a bit of credit then, but are you able to now? Mm. Um. <laughs> I feel really sorry for Solskjaer actually at this point which is bizarre for me to say as a City fan but I feel like he's just like nobody's ever willing to give him any credit whatsoever I, you know why that is I'm, 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 I think he does deserve a bit of credit actually but the thing is United have been doing this for the past, you know, under his reign, where they have these long runs of going unbeaten and winning consecutive games, and then they'll go lose to Burnley at home, and then go lose the next game, and then not win for four or five games, and and all the problems rear up again. And um, this, I admit, this time I don't think that's going to happen. I think. I think they're in it. I think they're in the title race. I think they they, they just look like he, he looks like he's found that he stumbled on his right team. Mm. Uh, and maybe saying stumbles the wrong, maybe he does deserve a bit of credit for that. But he not only my nice on the Sox have been great at winning three or four nil against teams and, and hitting teams with counter attack and with that attacking force they have, they deserve to win those kind of games. But he's now also getting those ugly results at Liverpool and Man City have been great at getting over the last couple of years. Um, the, the last two games have been exactly that. They've not been at the best at all, but they just got the six points over the line in, the, in those games uh, against Wolves and Aston Villa. And it's that, that's making me worry about them more than I was maybe two or three weeks ago because if they got that in them, then, you know, they're the real deal. Yeah. Um, I can't. I, think, I can't decide whether that's the sign of champions or them just being a bit lucky, though. To be honest, but <laughs> I, I think I think we both know. I've both been haunted by Manchester United in our childhood, <laughs> so we, we we worry about them being champions. Yeah, I suppose the argument against Solskjaer is like, what if United get really close to the title? What if they What if they just lose out by two or three points this season? People are just going to say, well, what if they had a better manager? They would have won the league, won't, won't they? That's <laughs> that's what's going to follow him around his entire career. If he even if he does win something, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, if he ends up getting the trophy into the cabinet, I think he gets that gets him off the back. Mm. Um, if they end up to do four four shorts in, in the title race by by that shorts, and it's only three or four points, I, 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 he deserves to keep his job. He deserves to crack at it because only obviously only one team can win the title. And yeah. If, if you're in the conversation in April May, I, I, I think he, he's he's done his job really, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, we have to talk about that penalty incident for United's winning goal, don't we? What did you make of that? What, why do you think Michael Oliver didn't watch the incident back on the monitor? I, I can't. I don't understand it to be honest. Um, it's exactly what it's there for. And I, I do think if Oliver had gone to this, the, the monitor, he probably would 
reverse his decision. Um, he seems to make it very quickly as well. He, he blew up straight away and he, he was pretty sure it was a penalty. I can understand why he gave it at the time because probably from his angle, you know, it did look like one, but I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think it was one. I well, I, I have seen another angle of it where it did look like um, Douglas Louise trip Pogba actually. Um, even even slightly, it probably was enough to kind of make him go down. Um, obviously, I think there was an element of him kind of tripping himself up after he'd yeah. been clipped as well. So I can s- kind of understand it. It, ju- it just was strange to me that Oliver wasn't keen to have a proper look at it, really, aside from the one that he got in real time. Yeah, why well, wasn't um, advised to go over there? I mean, that's sort of what he's there for, isn't it? Mm, but- yeah. Why do you think United get so many penalties? Do you think it could actually be an, a- an actual tactic from them at this point? Because I saw someone spouting some stats on Twitter about how Liverpool have loads more touches in the box than United, but don't get nearly as many penalties, and it's a big conspiracy and all this kind of thing. Like, I don't think it is a conspiracy, but it is curious how many, how how often they do get penalties, isn't it? Ah, uh, you know me, Dan. I love a conspiracy. <laughs> um, no, I, I just think. Mm. It's a weird one, that, because, you know, you throw that stat out because I think the answer is if you're an attacking team, you have more touches in the box, you're going to be in that area more, then mm. you're more likely to get a penalty. But if, if Liverpool aren't getting them, then, then maybe not. But maybe there's something there in the fact that maybe my United players run at their defenders more than Liverpool's do, um, if you want to sort of compare the two teams there. Because Liverpool's... Sort of attacking plays a lot more about sort of trying to work the space and, and find the angle to cross the ball into the mm. box or pass their way through. Whereas you see a lot of United's penalties, it's, it's sort of a lot like you know, the Pogba one against Villa, where you've got Pogba, Rashford, Martial running inside and they just sort of get clipped, and mm. they're, but they're running at full speed. And I think maybe it could be a tactic. I mean, <laughs> in, in, especially nowadays with the way that penalties are given, if you sort of get one clip, you you got the referee's got to make the decision. So it's uh, yeah, it could well be. I mean, I don't think it's a big conspiracy, obviously, but you know, might get penalties in Old Trafford. It's been you know that's a story all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is weird, and, and, and it, it seems to get one every week. Yeah. You just know they're going to get one, but. Yeah, I think I think it's that. To be honest, I don't know about you. Whether you think that could be. Uh... Yeah, I think I think you're right there, and I, I certainly don't blame players for going down after they've been clipped um, anymore. Because you know we've we've seen lots of evidence to suggest that that's the only way of getting the referee to make a decision. You can't you basically can't get a penalty if you stay on your feet, can you? It's Not, it's against the rules for some bizarre reason. So so yeah, all power to them, I guess. Um, I, I've been really thinking in in recent weeks that United need to dip into the transfer market and buy a centre back to partner Harry Maguire. Um, in January, if not in the summer. Um, do you think Eric Bailly's performance here suggests that, that maybe that signing isn't so urgently required? I mean, I've not been a huge fan of his um, over his time at United. I think he's been a bit erratic at times, but he uh, he was excellent here, wasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's been great. He's been coming for a few weeks now, but he, and he's he's been solid. Um, I, I, it's a weird one, Bailly, because he, he was great at Villarreal, and when he signed them, I thought they really have got a good centre-half there, and mm. I think injuries have fallen around. Yeah. I've stopped him nailing down his place. Um, but he's 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 looked solid every time he's come in. And if he can get everyone to games, you know they have they have got their partner for Harry Maguire. But I think the point you make there about him, he is erratic and he he can be rash. 
and it, he's also a bit dangerous sometimes. <laughs> it's been a couple of times now where, I mean, I think it's the Everton game at the Cup of the week where he jumps in and, and he nearly takes uh, Richardson's head off. And um, it, it, there's something, it was, also, was against Villa, I think, on Saturday where, um, you know, last game, Saturday, where he sort of goes in, he gets he gets a book him, but he goes in over the top of the ball and it's mm, could have yeah. well been a red. He's got that in him by you know, and I think that's, I definitely get that out of, out of his game at this stage of his career. And, and that's that's something that I think is always a ticking time bomb. And I think maybe they still need to have a look for something in the transfer market long term. But yeah. he's been great He's been great in recent weeks and serves credit for it. What do you know about this Sven Botman that uh, Liverpool and, and United are being linked with from Lille at the moment? Um, I, I didn't watch him at Ajax. I don't think he got many games at Ajax at all. But I mean, I've seen a bit of him at, at Leo, but I can't say I watch Liga in every week. But yeah. he, he's, he's one of them. He, he looks very dominant in the air and very, very good on the ball. Very easy to to um, bring the ball out of the back. But I, I think one thing that maybe could hold him back is his pace. He, he's, I mean, he's no slouch, but he's. You know, he's not exactly as fast as, let's say, Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez or whatever. Mm. Um, so it's one of them, if he is going to go to, you know, local Man United or Man City and, and where they play high lines, then it's something that might hold him back. And I'm not sure it's something he can train someone to be faster, is it? Not really, no, no. Just going back to buy it, I've just remembered a great tweet I saw over the over the weekend. I can't remember who it was from, I'm afraid, but but someone said he's like the friend who uh, always gets the shots in but also can't handle the shots. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I thought. I mean, the general consensus is that Villa were very good here, despite losing um, valiant performance from them. I guess you would call it. Do you think this was a, was a display that reminded us just how far they've come this season, and they, you know, they wouldn't have even got close in this game last season? Yeah, absolutely. They, they were great. they were in the game, and that's, and that's the thing. The you know when teams go one 0 down to my nice Old Trafford, you know. Most of the time, United pull away and 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 you know can win quite comfortably. But Villa just dug in and stuck at it. And although they didn't create many chances after that, they they had a lot of the ball and they were always looking to try and you know cause United problems and 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 they get the just desserts. And then I think they can just they can feel hard done by with the, the way they lose the game in the end. But they, they look a real team, and I, I, I'm glad that they are getting credit now because you know they've now gone to. You know, Arsenal won three nil, uh, drawn against Chelsea, putting that performance at Old Trafford, um, beat another team seven two, which we won't mention. And I think <laughs> that, you know, it's this. It's only so long you can go. Oh, this is just Aston Villa on a good run of form, mm. and, and they they would tail off. This is now pretty much half the season that they're putting these kind of performances and and, and looking good and, and, and getting results and. When they win, they win. They win quite comfortably. They not win one nil, two one yeah. every week. They win three nil, four nil here and there. So it's, I, I, you know, I think they want to keep an eye on. You know, mm. aside from giving the uh, the penalty away, I thought Douglas Louise was really good. Um, he looked like he could be dis- he looks like he could be destined for bigger and better things in the future, doesn't he? I mean, I think he he, he did join them from City, and I think City do have some sort of buyback clause. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if we went back for him at some point in the future. Could you see him slotting in nicely at City? Yeah, I was just just about to say. Actually, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not surprised that he left City because he probably just needed to go and. I think he couldn't get a work permit or, actually, or something oh, bizarre was it, was like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Know, but, uh, right? Is is? Do you think he, he's someone who could fit in the city? Because I, I look at him and 
not only is he, I think he's great at winning the ball back and pressing and, and doing that, but I also think he's, he's quite handy on the ball as mm. well, which obviously Guardiola likes, but do you think that's something that could happen? Well, yeah, I mean, all I'll say is Roger isn't exactly setting the world alight. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> if, if they are going to dip into the market for another defensive midfielder in the not-too-distant future, I think he'd be a candidate for sure, yeah. Uh, Arsenal's resurgence continued with a 4-0 win over struggling West Brom on Saturday night. Uh, last time we did the podcast, they were a crisis club, but they've since won three on the bounce and things are looking much rosier for them. Do you think we can safely assume that they won't be getting sucked into a relegation battle after all? <laughs> they were never going to win. <laughs> oh, I mean, it would have been really fun, that, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> it not not for our, our, our colleagues Lewis and Phil, of course, but for everyone else. Uh, yeah. It would have been funnier for us in that case, yeah. but uh, <laughs> it was never going to happen, was it? But, you know, it's uh, such a shame. I mean, we, we, I don't know about you, but you looked at that game on Saturday night in the snow at West Brom yeah. with Big Sam, and I had all the materials for a, you know an Arsenal breakdown, but yeah. sadly not. <laughs> I mean, what, why do you think they didn't break down? What do you think Arteta has changed to get them playing so well again and get them looking so confident again? They, they now look like they have a plan uh, and a plan on how to score a goal, and, and they've not had that, I think, pretty much all season. Um, I think bringing he's actually just playing his best players at the yeah. moment as well, which which always helps. He's bringing the, you know, the long lad, young lads, uh, Emil Smith Rose, come in and, and, and looks great. But he's also seems to have found a position for Saka. Cause I think Saka can probably play in about four or five different, different yeah. positions. But he's, he's found a role for him that that I think suits him. And, and they they just look like the. the they're now set up right and they look like they know how to try and score a goal, which I definitely had. Um, and and the, 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 you know what? And confidence is a big thing as well because, you know, this is a team that was completely sure of confidence. And then you can just see how one results can, can just, just take the, the weight off your shoulders. And mm. they're now playing like, you know, they believe they can go and beat anyone in the world. Don't they? <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned Smith Rowe there. I mean, he's come in for Willian in the past few weeks, uh, much to Arsenal fans' delight because they weren't enjoying watching Willian play for them at all, I don't think. Um, have you enjoyed Smith Rowe's performances as much as I have? And do you think he's now um, above Willian in the pecking order for the foreseeable future? Yeah, yeah, he should be. And uh, I think that's where Arteta might get criticised again if he ends up going back to the you know these players that he, he see he's given a chance to and they've not. They've not proven where if you have that chance, like William. Um, the thing is, William's on a lot of money and it's going to take a big manager and you know some of the big set of cajunas to sort of um, keep him out of the team and, and not get in the, you know not put him back in. And but I think he should do. I think that might actually be where his job's on the line is if he if he brings William back in, if the fans will turn on his back again. Smith Smith has been brilliant and I think he's the one thing Arsenal have been mi- the one thing Arsenal have been missing all season, and why they've been calling for it. You know, some people have been calling for Ozil. Is, is just that someone to break the lines and mm. and connect the midfield to attack, which I think Smith Rowe does brilliantly. Um, and I think that's I think that's literally the one big thing they've been missing. You know, they have got worries at the back as well, but go, going forward, they've just not had that someone just to play the through ball or to play the pass from the midfield to the winger or whatever. And and I think that's what Smith has been coming in and done brilliant in the last couple of games. Yeah, just from a, a perception point of view as well, I think with Arteta, he's better off playing the young kids because, you know, you look at Lampard at Chelsea last season, he got so much more leeway because he had these young players and they were sort yeah. of working towards something. Whereas when you start bringing in 30-year-olds on 400 grand a week or whatever Williams on, it might not be that much, I don't know. It's a lot of money, isn't it, that he's on. And they're not performing. Then the pressure starts to mount on you. If Emil Smith-Rowe's Smith not performing, then people say, well, fair enough, it's a young lad, he, you know, he's... he's 
he's he, give him time to develop. And I think I think Arteta, if he wants to buy himself some time at Arsenal, it's better just look into the youth that they've got. You know, Smith Rowe, Saka, Nketiah, all those players, and just uh, just go with that and see, see where it takes you. Absolutely, I think you're completely right. If they end up finishing eighth this season, then we'll have a long run in the Europa League, let's say, and you know they don't win anything, they don't achieve anything. But the thing is, if they've got young players that have, it looks like they are building towards something, and they look like they found a you know style of play that they they suit. And Smith Rowe, Martin, Ellie Saka end up getting you know ten, fifteen goals and assists. So I think Arsenal fans will be happy with that because they'll have hope for next season. They won't be, so that's the thing. That's yeah. Great. But to be fair, one of those players who I thought was a lost cause was uh, Alex Lacazette. And his transformation has been quite incredible in recent games, hasn't it? I mean, he's 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 dropping deep, he's he's scoring goals, he's 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 looking the part, isn't he? Whereas, you know, Aubameyang still doesn't really play him that well. What do you think has changed for Lacazette in the past few weeks? I'm still not quite having him. <laughs> I, can like, I can appreciate what he did on, on Saturday night, for example. Um, you know, he, he, did, he did have a great game, and you know he's, he's got his goals. And, and it, but I just, I just think Lacazette actually hinders them more than one helps them most of the time because I, I just don't. One, he can't really last longer than sixty minutes in a game, um, or not to his full ability anyway. You know, he's usually quite blowing around that time, and, and, and they used to take him off. And you know, if you always have to use one of your subs, then it's not in a great position. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, he's like has always been a great penalty box striker. You know, very good at you know being on on the shoulder of the last defender and finding his goals. But like you said, there he's he's come good at dropping deep and, and linking the play. And, and I think Arteta's been been trying to work that into his game since since he arrived, and and it, and it did work. And, and maybe that's the kind of striker Arteta wants long term. But I don't think. Lacazette's going to be on to that long term, and on a Ben Yang, like, yeah, it's not it's not happening at the moment for him. But um, his movement starts to look a lot better. He's starting to sort of get into space to get chances. I, I think it'll. A Ben Yang will improve in the coming weeks. I'd expect. Yeah. And I think we'll see a lot more from him. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, uh, Kieran Tierney scored a lovely goal to open the scoring here. Um, are you one of those football fans who has a great respect for players who play in short sleeve shirts, come rain or shine? J- James Milner is the obvious example that I think of who always uh, wears short sleeves. I, I can I can appreciate it, but I've got a lot more respect for Ainsley Maitland Niles coming on, looking like he's playing in his pajama bottoms, <laughs> and, and that's the kind of player I can get on board with more than Tierney. I mean, respect Tierney. Yeah, that's it. If, if I was playing, I'd be wearing tights, gloves. Oh, yeah. uh, st- I, I wish Smooth. I wish the snud was still a thing. Yeah, do you remember they, yeah. ba- they banned it, didn't they? Outrageous. <laughs> bring back snoods, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Football needs to sort out in 2021 is bringing back the snood. <laughs> but my favourite snood moment was uh, a game between City and Everton about 10 years ago. Uh, just before Christmas, it was freezing. The coldest I've ever been at a football match. And Yaya Torre pulled his snood up over his ears. So he was wearing it almost like, if you imagine like an old lady's kind of shawl, he was wearing <laughs> it like that. In fact, if you Google Yaya Torre's snud, it's the, thir- the first thing that comes up and it's well, it's well <laughs> worth a look. It was a moment of, uh, of genius from the big man that. Um, things are looking pretty bleak for West Brom uh, do you think Sam Allardyce has taken the job at the wrong time you know given the, the games have been coming thick and fast and he, he won't have had much time to do do his thing on the training ground so far and that they're not looking like an Allardyce team at the moment are they although they, they, they did it against Liverpool to be fair yeah they did and that's really frustrating but he did exactly what an Allardyce team does against, against Liverpool and um, but I think you're right he's, he's had no time on, on the training ground to implant his ideas and he's also having to start 
pretty much four attacking midfielders in midfield, which I think will, will keep him up at night. You <laughs> have to play Remain Air, Remain Soyuz uh, as a whole midfielder, and, and Soyuz has played as a number ten his whole career. And I think I think he, he just not got the balance of his squad. And, and at the moment, um, obviously Jake Livermore being out suspended didn't help that. And, I mean, if he comes in, maybe when he comes back in, maybe that will you know West West Brom will improve, but. He, they look exactly like a team and needs to do a lot of business in the transfer market. Mm. Now, I'm not sure how much they'll be able to afford, pretty much any team can afford at the moment. So I, I think it looks good for him. I think this, the one, this might be a job too far for, for Alday, sadly. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was talking last week, you know, expressing uh, some concerns about the COVID situation, you know, given, given that he's in his 60s and he's a bit worried about that kind of thing. Do you envisage a scenario where he could potentially walk away from this job before the end of the season and preserve his record, having, <laughs> having never been relegated? You'd have to applaud that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, I think for one, any any manager or player who you know expresses their concerns about the COVID situation is completely right, and there really shouldn't be an argument against that. But I just I just wonder it does rub me a wrong way a little bit the fact that he's he took the job only like ten days ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, in the situation then, what did you expect, Sam? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of I, I, it does sort of you know he's, he's now gone lost five nil and four nil at home. And now he's mentioning it, and now he's bringing it up. And it, it's kind of like, he's one of them who's also banging the drum about the two-week circuit break, which I think is probably a good idea, actually. But that again, it, it just kind of makes you feel like you're using a situation for your own sort of, um, your own personal agenda kind of thing. Yeah. But again, again, what he's saying is completely right. So I can't argue against that too much. All I'll say, Sam, is if you are worried about coronavirus, wear your mask over your nose, mate. That's <laughs> that's how you wear it. Yeah, yeah. Simple stuff, mate. Simple stuff. Uh, Tottenham got their first league victory since 6th of December when they trounced Leeds 3-0 on Saturday. Spurs really needed this win, didn't they? It leaves them four points behind Liverpool. Are you still expecting them to be heavily involved in the title race come the second half of the season? Yeah, yeah, they've still got one of the greatest balanced 11s in, in, the, in the division at the moment. I, I still think they'll be in the conversation in March. Whether they'll actually win it, I'm not sure. Might be a step too far for them this season. Yeah, I, I, I still think we can consider them part of, well, part of the title race because the thing is, you know, I know we're going to sort of speak about Kane and Son, but when you've got two players like that, like, you know, like Liverpool had Suarez and Sturridge and like, you know, City have always had, you know, the attacking forces to, to implement Aguero, you know, you have Ronaldo and Rooney. When you've got players like that who are world-class and can, and can hit the form that they are, you've always got a chance to, to be in the question for a title, definitely. Mm, yeah, Kane and Son, they, they've con- combined for 13 goals now this season. Quiz question for you. Can you tell me whose record they've equaled? Which duo? I, I want to say Colin York. No, no, no. It was uh, it was Shearer and Sutton at Blackburn. Ah, of course. The SAS. So yeah, that's that was a record set for an entire season, and uh, and 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 Kane and Son have, have, have matched it already. So looking like they're going to set a new record. That's seventeen goals in his last fourteen matches for Son. I still feel like he's quite underrated, though. Do you know what I mean by that? I still I still feel like he's. I think he's one of the best players in the world. I don't think people really talk about him as much as they should. Yeah, he's never in the question for the Ballon d'Or, is he? No, it? exactly. Yeah, far, and there's never yeah. there's never any transfer speculation about him either. Really, I feel like yeah. every I feel like there should be. People like Real Madrid, Barcelona should be after him every window. 
instantly improve their teams, wouldn't yeah. I think. Yeah, I think I agree with you there completely. <laughs> uh, interesting tweet I saw over the weekend from Soul Train with a with a, a good uh, a guide to pronunciation of Son's name. Ooh. So he says the O is long, like in open. The EU is a short U, like in put. It is not a U sound as you often hear from commentators. The I is a long E sound, like in scene. So I make that Son. Hung Mean, I think we're saying it. Son Hung uh, Mean. I, th- I think that sounds right. I'm just, I'm just going to call him Son. To be honest, I think that's easier <laughs> in it. But, but yeah, if anyone wants to impress the friends with their with the pronunciation, that's how you do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone's losing their minds about Leeds on a weekly basis. It seems though, aren't they? That they're either amazing or they're shit. Wh- which one is it for you? Is it a mixture of the two? Because, because I think that's probably the answer, isn't it? But I, I think that probably is the answer. But <laughs> I don't think it really matters. They'll, they'll be very happy. They're, they're, they're great to watch. And you know what? They're a great addition to to the league because you always you never know what you're going to get with them. But you always know it's going to be insane because yeah. it could be four three win or it could be a five 0 defeat. And I'm, I'm absolutely here for it. And, and and the thing is, I don't really understand the criticism of them too much because. The, the thing is, Leeds at the moment, 17th would be a happy medium for them. If they yeah. finish 17th, they've stayed in the division, they've done exactly what they came here to do. But the thing is, they probably will go end up finishing 11th, 12th, 13th, and they'll have a lot of fun while doing it. And I don't think there's wrong with that. Well, it's like you, you look at uh, Sheffield United coming up last season, and they kind of punched above their weight in everyone's eyes, really. They were had similar kind of start to the season as Leeds had a similar league position. And everyone yeah. was like, oh, what a brilliant job Chris Wilder's doing, manager of the year stuff amazing and Leeds you know notch up similar results and I think Bielsa has this 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 sort of uh, reputation that precedes him a little bit and I think everyone's willing to shit on him as soon as possible aren't they really which is probably probably very unfair when you when you compare it yeah. to you know other promoted teams it's because you've been a football hipster and loved by the football yeah, hipsters isn't yeah. it? like you know the lives are always out for those kind of yeah. Those kind of figures. The Argentine Kevin Keegan, as people are starting to call him now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think Leeds maybe opened themselves up to criticism a bit with their reaction to um, the Karen Carney thing on Twitter last week? Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, they got the criticism that they just deserved as well. Um, it's, it's sad that we're in a, in a situation where kind of Karen Carney's had to you know, fill the need to delete her Twitter. Because you know, I can imagine the level of abuse that she was getting. It's... And, and the thing is, when, when you're a sort of you know Premier League club or you know a top level club, and you know you've got a lot of followers and a lot of people hanging off your every word, you, you've got to be careful about what you're putting out there. And, yeah. And, and the thing is, I, I can understand you know sort of the reaction to that because I'm, I'm not sure they're posting every week about you know. Um, um, you know, male pundit. Well, they did add Bon Lahore, didn't they, a few weeks ago? And everyone, everyone was comparing it to that and going, well, they did it to him and no one complained then. So why, why are we now complaining when it's a woman? And it's like, well, it's different, isn't it? The, the, there, is, there are totally different power dynamics at play in, in the world that you have to think about. And I mean, I personally thought what Carly said wasn't that controversial. I thought it was a bit of a ham-fisted way of putting it, but I thought she had, uh, you know, a tiny bit of a point at the very least. And I think when yeah. you are going to sort of encourage a pylon on Twitter like that on a woman, you have to take responsibility for the fact that people are going to start sending her rape threats and all sorts of nonsense, yeah, of aren't course. you? All sorts of horrible shit. So yeah, I think I think they're conducting themselves really badly there. Actually, and I was I was quite pleased to see them lose as a result. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but anyway, Leicester are third in this uh, slightly incomplete table after they won two one away at Newcastle on Sunday. That was Leicester's seventh win in nine away games this season, the best record in the league. What do you think makes them such a good good away side? And does it even count when when stadiums are empty? Are we even, yeah. Does away form even matter at this point? 
yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? You can't really differentiate at the mm-hmm. moment. I mean, it's home advantage, I think, I'm not sure. Um, I think what makes him a great away side, you know, Jamie Vardy helps and the fact that he's you know probably one of the best counter-attacking strikers the league's you know, ever seen. Um, but they've just got, again, they're very well balanced and, and the thing is you, you've got, you know, ball winners in there like Wilfred and Didi and, and Mendy when he plays and then you've got these you know, sort of Tielemans who can connect it and then you've just got pace everywhere else. Mm. And so they can hit teams very quickly. Um, with the likes of Barnes um, and then obviously Vardy uh, and they've also got these little players that can play the, you know, the killer pass like James Madison and I think Gaeja Perez is good when he when he plays because he's someone that can get in around the box as well they, they, they just look great I, I'm always impressed when, when I see Leicester because they, they can also win ugly as well in sort of what we've been talking about Manchester United doing so um, and I think your Brendan Rodgers fraud a meter might have to go back into the box. I think it's broken, that. actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not moving at all at the moment, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's a weird one with Leicester. I don't really know what to expect from them uh, this season. You know, after after they did so well in the first half of the season and dropped off last season, I'm like, are they going to yeah. do that again or are they going to sustain it this year? It's just such a hard sort of, Teams to put my finger on, really. Um, I mean, Brendan Rodgers recalled Jamie Vardy to the side after for, for this game after wrestling with the draw with Crystal Palace last time out, and and it worked a treat. He, he didn't score, but he, he was well involved. Do you think he, he's a bit too important to be rested for them? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, because Kalechi and Nacho isn't as good, is he? He's not good enough. Not, yeah, it's just a strange one with Kalechi because I always thought he had you know, potential, and mm. he, come, he has that half a season in the city where he looked like you know he scored a lot of goals, didn't he? And, yeah. Uh, 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 well, I remember when there was there was a, bit, a debate about who's better, um, Rashford or Ian Acho, and <laughs> that that debate isn't happening anymore, is it? Yeah. yeah clearly, Ian Acho wins that hands yeah. um, <laughs> I think I think you've had, you know, I, I he obviously have to rest Vardy because you know he is you know getting on a little bit, and you know they've got Europa League to contend with as well. So you can't start every game, but the, the thing is, they don't really have the answer in in. You know, for the backup to him because Inacho, I don't think can can do the job, and I'm not sure they'll be able to dip into the transfer market in January. It's kind of similar similar situation that you know Spurs have had with Kane for years and, and Liverpool had with Fernando Torres, where you know the striker's that good, and how do you convince someone to come to come in mm. and, and know you're going to be back up, and how can you get a player of a similar talent or not not as much of a drop off um, from the level of Vardy to, to come in and be back up and. You know, that's a, not a very good situation to be in, I guess. Uh, I'm not really sure they'll get a right answer for it unless they've got someone coming through the youth ranks or could turn a winger into a striker kind of thing. Yeah. Well, Vardy's got five assists now this season. We've talked a lot this season about Harry Kane becoming a more rounded player. Do you think the same has happened to Vardy? Do you think he's he's starting to bring other players into play a bit more? Yeah, he's had to adapt his game, I think, because, you know, you know he is still pretty quick off, off the run. He's obviously not going to have you know the explosive pace that he has when he won the league, for example, because you know, you know your body decays over time. Sadly, we all feel that. Um, <laughs> I certainly so, feel it. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Still going from New Year's Eve. Um, so yeah, he, yeah, he has that sort of adapted game in the way that you know Harry Kane has, for example. Um, and I think I think it's great because for one, because he's the lone striker, you know. If he's not, you know, if he's not getting fed, you know, for ninety minutes, he's got to try and make his own chances as well, which Vardy has been good at. But he's now got, you know, young lads around him and energetic lads around him who can get into the box as well. So you know, it's he's, he's had to adapt his game, and I think Leicester completely feel the benefits for that as well. 
Yeah, I think I know what you're going to answer uh, to this question, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to give you a dilemma. You can only have one of these players: uh, Harvey Barnes or James Madison. Which one are you going for? Oh, Harvey Barnes. Hands I knew, down, I knew you would say yeah, that. I knew completely. you would say that. I'm going to go for James Madison in that case. Then, really? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think he's just. I think he's really good, James Madison. I think he, you know he's got an excellent goal there, didn't he? And he, he's got he's got a. a Belter in his locker every now and again. Um, did you see that tweet from, I think it was Tom Victor on Sunday, where he was saying that James Madison looks like he should be called Harvey Barnes and Harvey Barnes looks like he should be called James Madison. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't explain why, but I know exactly what he means. Yeah, see, I, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense for it, does, does it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A bit like this crazy season, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Newcastle drew with Liverpool in their last game but they've taken just two points from a possible 15 since the 16th of December now do you think they're still feeling the the after effects of well they definitely are feeling the after effects of that Covid outbreak because Steve Bruce has gone on record and said that they're still not still not uh, right but but do you think in particular that they're missing Alan St. Maximum yeah completely because he, he just wanted them that when when they set up like they do, they, they do need that player who can sort of carry them up the field a bit and, and can also produce that little, little bit of sparkle out of nothing, which they've definitely got in their 11 at the moment. And they don't even have Ryan Fraser fit and available to play who would who would help them as well. And they've not been able to get him on the pitch regularly since he arrived. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of them. They are, they are looking like they are still feeling the effects of that. And it's, it, it's, it's a shame, really, that they... I'm glad I'm not getting criticism for it because I think it'd be really unfair because Bruce has gone on record and said that, you know, with Jamal LaSalle, who's the captain, I'm missing him as well. Um, he, him and um, St. Maximan will feel the long COVID, the effects of long COVID. And, you know, it's, I hope you don't get rushed back because we, don't, we still don't know whether this is got proper real long-term effects on footballers. Mm. You know, everyone, you know, you can safely say, you know, because they're fit athletes, you know, they should be all right. But they can't really be you can't be certain about that, let's say. And it's, yeah, it's it's a real worry for them at the moment. And they've just got to just try and stick at it and you know, get to the end of January and hope they get these lads back in. And, and they should be still all right because there's still three teams below them that are, are terrible. But it's a bit glum at the moment. So I just feel them, to be honest, morning. Yeah, well, there was a really harrowing quote from Steve Bruce where he was talking about, you know, he's they've had players vomiting and mouth ulcers and can't get out of bed for a week yeah. and all, all this stuff and, and uh, you know, just feeling like out of breath after 10 minutes of running or whatever. And I, I do think that's something we've got to be really careful with this with this COVID situation, especially when we're talking about, you know, criticising teams for post- postponing games when they have an outbreak in their camp and stuff. We don't really know um, how this is going to affect players and, and we shouldn't just assume that because they're young fit athletes that they're going to be fine basically yeah, it's exactly. it's it could be it could be really dangerous and you know I don't want it to come to a situation where a footballer has to die before we realise that it's actually quite serious for them to get it as well and, and not just a, a bit like having a cold you know um, so so yeah hopefully everyone at uh, Newcastle can, can get well soon and get back on their feet um, at least Andy Carroll scored his first goal since returning to the club uh, for Newcastle against Leicester and a lovely goal it was too did that bring back some nice memories for you of his time at Liverpool, Joel? <laughs> there weren't many, uh, <laughs> but he did score a very good half volley in a similar way against Man City. He did, that's right. I was at that game at Anfield, yeah. <laughs> his first, I think his first goal for for us as well. Mm. Um, and uh, you know what, the only mem- nice memory I have is that, and also he scored the winner in the Merseyside Derby FA Cup semi-final. Where was, so. <laughs> How many did he score know? for Liverpool, do you know? Oh, like five. Was five. it? Yeah, it, it was. It was pretty much. Like, it was less than ten. I can't, I can't remember the number the top of my head, but it wasn't great. Um, but he scored that goal at Wembley, so he should have a statue. To be honest, thirty-five million quid, well spent. 
Uh, the weekend began with West Ham winning 1-0 away at Everton on Friday night. That result ended a run of four straight wins for Everton and they missed the chance to go second in the table. But the manner of the performance felt pretty significant to me. Can you can you see them dropping off a bit now? Uh, maybe not immediately, but it just, that just sort of felt to me like Everton aren't quite there yet. Yeah, quite possibly, but it's also... They're probably just feeling the effects of having to play the amount of games that they've had to. Over well, they got they got a rest when well, the City game got postponed. Let's, <laughs> let's not forget that. <laughs> maybe they got too much rest. Maybe that was a problem, yeah. Yeah, well, he moaned about that. And, you know, maybe yeah. <laughs> he didn't feel the benefit, so did he? Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm not sure. I thought they would have dropped off earlier on in the season because obviously, you know, the top of the league the first four games and, and they do go on a bad run of form and I thought that was it. They'd level out now, but they, they suppose right um, Sprung right up quite quickly recently, and I, I, it's it's one I think there's going to be it's sort of up and down all season, and I, I think they'll they'll be in the question for Europa League at the end of the season and feel yeah you know, there's one between like six and eighth they'll be around there and and I've, I've, you know fair enough good season for Chelsea and Everton um I don't know we are going to challenge the top four now I think you know when when we sort of say they're not up to the task I think that's where they're not up to the task and not quite at that level. Yeah, I, I feel that as well. I think um, I think they are a good side. I don't think they're anywhere near title challenges yet, and I don't think they'll finish top four. I've got a feeling the top four is going to sort of formulate itself properly quite soon, and I think we are going to be yeah. looking at Liverpool, City, United, and probably Leicester or, or Spurs. That that would be my pick for the top four. Four of those five teams. I can't really imagine anyone else breaking into it at this point. No. There's still a team with Chelsea fans also who've come back from this in the moment. So I still expect them to sort of be in the question. Yeah. Between Spurs and Leicester, I think I agree with that completely. Yeah. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, five games without a goal for him now. Have we been catfished by those beautiful <laughs> blue eyes or, or is it just uh, an expected sort of dip in form given given the uh, the start to the season that he made? Yeah, I think it probably is a little bit expected because, he, you know, he started sort of in, you know, sort of Ronaldo and Messi numbers quite you know, yeah. kind of form, isn't it? And you can't... What I think he's sort of feeling the effects of is not having Luca Dean in the team because mm. you know he's been out injured and you know, Luca Dean swung them. He you know, puts the ball on a plate for him, but nearly every game, and he, he's he's not had that service. He's actually you know had to deal with sort of you know Ben Godfrey playing left back. He's, he's done a pretty good job, but he's centre half playing left back. He's not going to put the ball in for him, and he's also not had James Rodriguez in the team as well because you know he's been out injured. So. I, you know, feel for Calvert. We we might have been catfish, but I still I I still think he's a quality player, and I think you know he will find the goals again once he's got the players feeding him back in the team. They'll just wait a few more weeks for it, but you know he's a quality player. He's yeah. Always. I saw quite a few Everton fans reacting on Twitter sort of saying they don't think Carlo Ancelotti's got the squad he needs yet and there's a few players who are just showing themselves to not be good enough in, in games like this. Who specifically do you think they should be looking to move on? I mean, I've got I've got a few ideas. I would say um, maybe maybe Pickford, you know, we've talked a lot about him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Yerry Mina's good enough. Um, Tom Davis, I don't know if he's good enough. Gilfie Sigurdsson, Bernard. Um, these players are all pretty average, if you ask me. Michael Keane. I mean, Cenk Tosin came off the bench in this game. I don't know what he's still doing at the club. Uh, they, they had they had two goalkeepers on the bench against West Ham, which is uh, which shows the sort of uh, level, you know, the, the place that the squad is in terms of injuries at the moment. Any any other names you would add to that that list? I, I agree with all them. I'd, I'd throw in Andre Gomez as well because I'm mm. not really sure what he adds to a football pitch. Um, and the thing, the thing is with Everton, it's not like they can go in 
completely buy a new squad or go and buy eight, seven or eight new players in January because we have record losses, like yeah. a lot of clubs w- will do because of the pandemic. Well, that's it. They've spent um, a lot to get to this point as well, haven't they? So it's going to spend... Exactly. They're going to have to spend that again to get to the next level, it seems like. A hundred percent. So they're, they're going to have to stick with some of these players. I, I, you know, I do think the goalkeeper is a problem, but he's not actually the number one problem right now. Um, yeah. the, the, which is which is weird to say because he is a serious issue. But um, the, the, the likes of you know, Gomez, Bernard, Sigerson, they, they've all had their chances over the last couple of years. Everson, they've never proved to be good enough, but... You know, I think Anfossi knows he's going to have to stick with some of them because he just he can't exactly you know sell them and bring someone in straight away and take his place. So unless you know you, you put your faith in the youngsters, and Everton have always had good you know youth players and very good under twenty three under eighteen teams. Unless he sort of just completely writes those players off, sells them, and you know, tries to see what he can do, but then brings his young players in. I'm not sure. I think they're just have to stick with them, sadly. Yeah. Well, it was an impressive result from David Moyes' side on his old stomping ground with Thomas Suchek scoring the game's only goal. Is he one of the most underrated players in the league for you? In fact, is he the new Marouane Fellaini for, for David Moyes? <laughs> he's been called that, hasn't he? And I yeah. can completely see it because he's just you know, a big lump. Not all tall people are the same. I'm going to say that as a tall person myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a great touch with a big man. Yeah, yeah well, certainly. Though. He's just one of them that always seems to score. I think he's mm. scoring every game. We think he's only got five goals. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's great, isn't he? He's not only scoring goals, you know, from set pieces where he is, and obviously, you know, a great threat, but he gets into the box like, like he did against Everson. You know, he seems to time his runs brilliantly. Uh, he's very good on the ball. Um, he's someone that, you know, obviously the Czech leagues aren't great, but he's, he's won leagues at, you know, his last clubs and. Mm. Um, so he's obviously got a bit of a mentality about you know and a bit of a winner mentality about him and I, you know I, I do think he's great I, I think the Fellaini shout you know is, is the one <laughs> uh, clearly a David Moyes team can't work without a Marwan Fellaini or a Tim Cahill. <laughs> well, I, I I would say that uh, Mikel Antonio is probably their Tim Cahill in this team in that case because he yeah, came off, he, he came off the bench back from injury didn't he and. Uh, and I think he's really important to them. So, yeah, David Moyes is, is getting the old uh, Everton team back together. Maybe West Ham will finish fourth. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, perhaps the craziest game of the weekend took place at the Amex on Saturday, where Brighton came back to draw 3 3 with Wolves. Uh, credit to Brighton for the fight back, but that's still just one win for them this season. Do you buy into this notion that they're a better team than the results suggest and, and that they're a bit, they've been a bit unlucky this season? They have been, but at some point, you've got to sort of just assess whether they're not very good and whether you know they are the results that they actually are getting is just just what they are showing and, and there's not some big you know secret underground mm. rave where Brighton are you know the, the top of the notch and top of the table <laughs> because if you can't put the ball you know they scored three goals which is bizarre but they, they usually have a problem with, with putting the ball in the back of the net mm. and, and being clinical enough and it's you know if they can sort that out and you know they will get better results but yeah, they've had great online numbers all season, but I just think if you got one win at this stage, you, you probably are where you deserve to be. To be honest with you, and I, I think they're going to be in a bit of trouble. You know, you know, I think you probably can write off a few of the teams that are in a relegation zone, but one of them will make a case to stay up. 
And I, I think if you're, you know, Fulham or West Brom, you are looking at Brayton and you're thinking that we we can get above you and, and that's that's where we'll get our wins. So I think Potter's got he might be in a bit of trouble coming in the season. Yeah, you can, you can sort of hang around the drain all season, can't you? But you've got to be careful that you don't get sucked in and that, that could happen to them very, very, very easily, I think. Uh, I mean, Dan Byrne had a shocker of a, of a half with an own goal, the penalty given away. He's the first player to do that in the Premier League since the legend that is Eliakim Mangala. <laughs> For Man City against Hull in October 2014. Do you think well, it was well. uh, naivety from Graham Potter to have him marking Adama Traore? I mean, it's it's bordering on sound like I've got a personal vendetta against Graham Potter at this point, <laughs> given how much I slag him off. But I just don't see what what he's sort of doing managerially that makes him so uh, so lauded, I guess, or, or so or, or, or people even have much patience with him. I think he's pretty average. Yeah, Brighton do look nice to watch on occasion but I'm not saying I, I don't think as good to watch as like Aston or Leeds let's say and, and maybe that's unfair because Villa Leeds got a bit more money than Brighton to spend mm. but yeah he, he seems to and Brighton, Brighton fans have said this since he arrived you never know sort of what team he's going to put out week, week after week and Sometimes, well, pretty much every time they receive a team sheet, you have no idea what formation they're going to play. So he regularly plays four centre halves, but they're playing dribs and drabs everywhere. You know, Ben White was playing centre midfield this week. Dan mm. Burns playing left back. You know, a six foot seven centre half playing against a damage triangle. Yeah. As a tall person, I will say we cannot we cannot play full back. Like, do not put us there. <laughs> It doesn't work. So <laughs> lads should not be playing left back or yeah. left wing. Yes. Play back or right wing. No, let's stop it. Albert Riera should not be playing left wing. He's a three. <laughs> um, I'm not really getting it anymore with Brayson. I was sort of impressed at the start of the season, but but now I'm just seeing an average team just being where they should be in the table. To be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me on to Wolves. I have to say, I mean, uh, I don't. Think, I think they're they're an above average team, but I think their league position uh, is very average at the moment. Obviously, they're they're struggling without Raúl Jiménez, but but throwing away a two goal lead as he did here, it's not a good look for them, is it? It's not. Um, they were missing Willie Bolly and Leander Dendonka, and uh, yeah. I do wonder whether they had them, they would have seen the game out, but. Wolves, I think they're going through a bit of a transitional season. You've obviously lost Diego Jota. They you know lost him as to injury. They've lost Matt Doherty. You, you know, Jota and Doherty were, were big parts of the way they played. Mm. And I think Spurs' Sancho sort of was a bit burned by the um, the Europa League quarter final defeat to Sevilla, where they did not touch the ball all game. <laughs> and I think I think he's trying to sort of. Turn Wolves from a team that was counter-attacking to a team that wants to have the ball. And you, you look on paper, you look at Ruben Neves and Jao Martino, and you think they've got the players to, to be able to take that style of play on. But I, 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 I don't think they have. I don't think they're good enough to do it. And then, or, or if they will, it's going to take some time to get there. And, and right now, it's sort of they don't really know how they should be playing. Um, and, and I still think they're great on the counter-attack when they've got Neto and, and Diop Dents and obviously Traore you know, isn't isn't contributing goals or assists, we still rapid. Mm. So it still can help help the team and yeah, I think they're caught in a rock and a hard place at the moment. They'll they'll be alright, they won't go down or get dragged into the relegation fight, but 
it's going to be a bit of a mediocre season for Wolves, I feel. Yep. Well, speaking of mediocre seasons, Crystal Palace condemned Sheffield United to their 15th defeat of the season with a 2-0 win at <laughs> Selhurst Park on Saturday. I think mediocre is too kind for the, the season Sheffield United are having. That They're now the first English top-flight side to fail to win any of their first 17 games of the season since Bolton Wanderers in 1902-03. And they've gone 20 league games without a clean sheet. They're 12 points from safety. And Chris Wilder said they're going to have to go on an amazing run to stay up. But it's <laughs> It's not going to happen, is it? No, but um, the thing the thing is with them, they've been in games, they've been in a lot of these games, and it's just not happened for them. But mm. against Palace, they, they are just probably the worst forms of the season. They never look when they went one 0 down to four minutes. They never look like getting back into it. They never look like offering anything in the game. And I, I think this is the first game where it looks like they might throw the towel in a bit. I still think there'll be a point in the season where they might win one or two. I don't think they're going to get Derby's record of 11 points. I, th- I think they'll surpass that. Mm. Um, and they'll, they'll win one or two, one or two, and then you might start to look at them and think, ooh, maybe the great escape is on. But I think that'll get deflated very quickly. I, I, you know, I think, yeah, we can probably safely write them off, can't we? Yeah. Do you, do you have any idea why they've gone or how they've gone from being a, a solid Premier League side last season who at one point were you know, being talked about as maybe crashing the top four to one of the worst ever to disgrace the competition? I mean, <laughs> I, I just I can't, I can't understand it. I don't really understand what's changed. Um, you could understand them having a bit of a drop-off. And, I did, you know, obviously we've, we've talked a lot on the season that I did kind of predict that they might have a drop-off and might struggle this season. I didn't think they'd be this bad, though. Yeah, and I, I don't really see it myself, to be honest. I can't, I'm not quite sure what's happened because if you look at the strikers, the strikers don't score goals, but the, the, the strikers didn't score goals last season either. Um, so I can't say it's directly down to that. And I, I don't really know what, what changed myself because the, the, the starting 11's not really developed that much. You've still got, you know, like Sir John Fleck in there. And maybe the, they've lost you know, Jack O'Connell um, centre half. Mm-hmm. Um, to a long term and G's out for the season I think maybe that's hit them more than they expected because he's, he's obviously a very good centre back um, but I can't just say he's going directly down to, to one player maybe teams are just figure them out because they've had a year's data on them and they had a year to prepare for them and mm. you know they can see what they do and, and can stop it but yeah and it's just one of them once, once you hear a tumble of results like they've had it's very hard to sort of turn the tide and I think that's just what they find themselves in but yeah I can't really say it's on one thing like yourself to be honest <laughs> I'm just praying for them to win so we can talk about something different on this podcast about them because it's just <laughs> we're just having the same conversation every week basically I'm, I'm running out of ways to rephrase the same question <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a good win for Palace that was their first clean sheet since the opening game of the season uh, that's six wins four draws seven defeats for them we're closing in on the old Roy Hodgson algorithm aren't we it's getting there mate it happens every <laughs> season like clockwork we are getting there there we go <laughs> right before our very eyes yeah um, Eberechi Eze's goal was the best of the weekend for me is it maybe the best goal of the season so far I just loved how I mean the defender wasn't great but I just loved the you know not only the sort of turn and run but just the, the how casual the finish was I thought it was beautiful it was it was great I'm not, I'm not sure about goal of the season contender just yet I can't really think of the top example, top of my head, but um, it's, it's you know what maybe it should be up there, but yeah, it, yeah, it was just so chilled, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, Ethan Apandu should be sort of lynched for the for the tackle he tried <laughs> to put in because it was horrendous. But 
Let's let's look like he was yeah. going bowling or something, didn't he? When he was... <laughs> <laughs> let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say yeah, Eze was just completely sold, and, and then the finish is just as casual as you like. Yeah, yeah, so cool. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. It was a little bit of a throwback as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, just a very quick one before we finish because it's a very interesting game coming away from St Mary's on Monday night when Liverpool travel to face Southampton. Liverpool coming into this game on the back of a couple of draws. Where's it been going wrong for Liverpool recently, and, and can you see them getting back on track against Southampton? It's um, quietly a really big game for Liverpool tonight, and, mm. and, and I'd go as far as saying it's a must-win, to be honest. Um, otherwise, the pressure might start to sort of tell on them because they just not seem to can't seem to win games away from home as, as much. I mean, they did win seven mil against Crystal Palace, but mm. you know they, they've had so many draws against like Fulham and Newcastle, and they just don't seem to be able to unlock the door at the moment. Um, in the teams are sort of defending very deep against us, and Liverpool have had no problem sort of getting past that in recent seasons. But this year, they seem to have sort of hit a hit a, a block with it, and I'm not really sure it's down to sort of uh, Trent Alexander Arnold's not in the best of form and has not really settled down this season. And they've also had you know, obviously the injuries that they've had, and um, the likes of Van Dijk going for you know, they've also missed midfielders, and they've not really been able to get into a rhythm. And I think that's more important than anything else because we're in clock. You know, pride themselves in the team having rhythm and, and, and yeah I think it's, it's got a bit of a banana skin about it to be honest with you I'm a bit nervous oh well one to keep an eye on for sure well that's all we've got time for this week I've been Dan Burke and thanks very much to Joel Sanderson Mori for joining me we'll be back again next week with another episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast if you'd like to send a question or a comment our way you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball look after yourselves and we'll catch you next time I love-